listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. continuing to walk through the gospel of Luke. Luke has written to Theophilus. He wants Theophilus to be convinced about who Jesus is, and he set out to try to write in a way, uh, logically, sequentially, so that any reader would understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the one who has come to live a life that we cannot live, to die the death that we deserve to die, and to, to rise victorious over the, the sin that we could not defeat. And if we would trust him, we can have eternal life. And so Luke has been laying that out for us. And last week we looked at um, Jesus appointing these guys that are going to be um, his closest partners in this ministry. Um, and I want to go back and... Um, catch the end of chapter 4 and look at what Jesus said and help us understand this morning that the text this morning is the continuation of what Jesus started out with in Luke chapter 4. Jesus said, they wanted Jesus to stay. Jesus said, I must preach the good news, Luke chapter 4 verse 43, of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. So Jesus is going forth He's performing miracles so that they would know that he is the Son of God, but he is also preaching this message of the good news of the kingdom, and that's what we're looking at this morning as we come to Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse number 20. Several years ago, uh, my family had the privilege of flying to Hawaii. Uh, we had some friends at Hickam Air Force Base. And we stayed at their house, so we didn't have to worry about lodging. We woke up every morning, looked out the window, and there was Pearl Harbor. And we flew over on buddy passes. And fortunately for us, it was almost impossible, but you could get on a plane, six people fly all the way to Hawaii. But then on the way back, they said, there are going to be some seats in first class if you would like to fly first class. I don't know if you've ever flown first class or not, but if you ever get a chance to fly first class, you want to fly first class. So we told our kids, you've got to dress a certain way. You've got to have particularly enclosed shoes. And so all six of us go to the airport, get ready to get on the plane. But one of our children decided that she was going to be, uh, uh, just follow her own rules and do exactly what she wanted to do. And she came with shoes that were, were open in the back. And so five of us ended up getting in first class and she ended up sitting in coach. Now, being the gracious father that I was, whenever I got a chance to sneak back after I'd eaten the filet mignon and the wine and the cheese, I snuck back and let her come up and sit in first class for a few minutes. But you say, what's the point of you telling that story? When you get on one of Delta's airplanes, you're living in their kingdom. And you don't go into their kingdom and start trying to rearrange the rules and expecting them to do things your way. You're going to do things their way, and if you don't do things their way, then you're going to suffer the consequences of it. Jesus is coming and saying, this is the kingdom. I'm coming and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. It's, it's, it's his kingdom. He is the king of that kingdom, and he's laying the kingdom out for us as those who would follow him. There are a lot of people that say they know Jesus. There are a lot of people that say they are in the kingdom, 
But they don't care what Jesus has said about the kingdom. What is the kingdom like? What are people in the kingdom like? You're not coming into his kingdom and at the same time, you remaining the master of your own soul. You remaining the person who's going to decide how you're going to live and what you're going to do. And so as we look at that passage, I want you to think about that as Jesus shares um, these thoughts on the kingdom. And I want to begin in verse number 20. It says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Now, make sure that's, that qualification is there. On account of the Son of Man. On account of your identity with Christ. He says in verse 23, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. This is counterintuitive. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. What Jesus is doing is he's teaching them and he's giving them these comparisons, showing them a contrast so that you will not miss what life is like in the kingdom. And so you will contrast that to what life is like in the kingdom of this world. There is the kingdom that Christ is, is going about and proclaiming, but there's the kingdom of this world. So now he's going to talk to them in contrast to Christ's kingdom. There is the kingdom of this world. Verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now. He's contrasting that to everything in verses 20 to 23. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. He moves to a separate section beginning in verse 27. Again, what's it like in the kingdom? This is really, really difficult. But I say to you who hear, for those of you that are picking up what I'm putting down, for those of you that are tracking with me, for those of you that say, I, I want to be in this kingdom that Jesus is coming and offering, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Turn your other cheek and let them strike that cheek. And from one who takes away your cloak or your outer garment, do not withhold your tunic, your undergarment either. Verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. He gives us the contrast of that. Verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Unregenerate people. Unregenerate people love people who love them. Atheists love people who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? This is just expected. This is the way we live. For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. He doubles down on this, this new way of relating in the kingdom, verse 35. But love your enemy and do good. Lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, 
For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. He changes again the subject again all in the same vein. He's looking at how people relate to one another. Verse 37, judge not. Now he's not talking about having discernment here. He's talking about what do you think when you look at another person? What do you think when you look at another person? He's not saying don't take truth into account. Don't be a discerning individual. Don't be wise. He's not saying that. But what's your attitude in your heart when you look at another person? Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Given, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He told them a parable. He's giving them an illustration. He's driving this point home because it's extremely important. How we relate to one another is extremely important in the kingdom. Can a man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And I believe this is what I'm going to use as the introduction because Jesus gives us, first of all, the, the principle that undergirds all of these things that he's saying, these contrasts that he's making about what life is like in the kingdom. But this is what the heart of the kingdom is like. He's getting into that right here, verse 44. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Verse 45 the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. What is Jesus saying? Some people have good hearts. Some people have bad hearts. No, he's saying that people in the kingdom are in the kingdom because they have a new heart. And when you have a new heart, it impacts how you live, how you love, how you interact, how you relate. And then Jesus gives his invitation. Verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He lays it out. There are those that hear and do, and there, there are those that just hear and don't do. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a, a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house, same kind of house, on the ground without the foundation. The only dif difference was the foundation and the same stream broke against that house and immediately that house fell, not because of the roof, not because of the walls, not because of the plumbing, not because of the elect electric electrical work. All of that was probably under the same code. It was all because of the foundation and the foundation was not built on hearing what Christ said and acting on what Christ said and the ruin of that house was great. 
Jesus is appealing to those who are listening to him. He's talking to his disciples and saying, this is, this is what it's like in my kingdom. I want to give you just five simple thoughts um, from this text this morning, and I'll try to hasten through them as we look forward uh, to partners' lunch. Um, this is the kind of the driving statement. Everything in life is a reflection of the kingdom that we think we live in. Everything in life is a reflection of the kingdom that we think we live in. The values that you hold are a reflection of the kingdom that you think you live in. The worldview that you have is a reflection of the kingdom that you think you live in. How you relate to this world, how you relate, he, he gives it to us, how we relate to money, how we relate to provision, how we relate to entertainment, how we relate to things that make us laugh, how we relate to doing whatever we need to do to make us happy. All of, all of those things are a reflection of the kingdom that we think we live in. He's giving us two kingdoms in this text all the way through it. Everything in this life is a reflection of the kingdom that we think we live in. So here's what Jesus would say. Don't just walk in and say, I'm living in the kingdom of God and I'm living for the kingdom of heaven. The way you live your life is a reflection of which kingdom you really have pledged your allegiance to. There are a lot of people that verbally pledge their allegiance to the kingdom of Christ, but practically live for the kingdom of this world. That's why he's giving us this, this clear differentiation of what these kingdoms are like. So the first thing I want you to see is this. We need a new heart to get into the kingdom. We need a new heart to get into the kingdom. We see Jesus, the, the, the botanist, if you want to call it that, as he explains in verses 43 to 45, or you may want to call it fruticulture or pomology, whatever you want to say, Jesus is going into the world of plants and into the world of fruit trees, and he's giving us this axiom that is irrefutable. He's giving us this axiom that even the smallest child could understand. You see, a good tree, a good tree is going to bear good fruit. If the fruit is good, the tree is good. He's going back and forward with that. He says that if the, the, the tree is bad, the fruit will be bad. And if the fruit is bad, the tree is bad. So he's making this correlation between fruit, what is flowing, what, what is growing on that tree, right? But he's going to shift that to something that we have a more difficult time understanding. He's going to go from his, his uh, botany to his anthropology, and he's going to shift it over to a man and his heart and say the same thing. Whatever is growing on that tree is indicative of the kind of tree it is, and whatever is flowing out of your heart is indicative of where your heart is, the condition of your heart. The fruit that flows out of you and me is irrefutable evidence for the condition of our heart, no matter what we say. The fruit that flows out of us is irrefutable evidence for the condition of our heart, is, is an irrefutable indicator of the kingdom that we live in. The fruit that flows out of us is irrefutable evidence for the source of life that you are accessing. The world that your interior world is committed to and living out of. What is flowing out of your life? Now, we know from Genesis and 
many other passages that our hearts are fallen. We can go to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 and we can see that the heart of mankind is evil continually and God is going to destroy, to destroy all of mankind with a, a worldwide flood. We know that, that Jeremiah says our heart is deceitful above all and desperately wicked. We know that, that in Romans 1.18 the problem was the heart. He lays it out very clearly in Romans 1.18. We did not want to retain the knowledge of God in our heart. And we know from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 17 that our hearts are alienated from the life of God. It is a heart problem. And that's the way all of us has been born. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Every one of us has sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've got a heart problem. What we need is a new heart. And when Christ comes and lives the life we could not live, he fulfills all righteousness and he dies our death in our place as a substitute and he rises victorious over sin and we trust what he has done. He gives us his perfect righteousness. He removes, forgives us of all of our sin and he gives us resurrection life. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 17 lays that out with, with profound beauty. Then we receive new hearts. You can see it in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6, Jeremiah chapter 24 and verse 7, Jeremiah chapter 31. The work that God does in the heart of mankind is he gives him a new heart. That's reiterated in Ezekiel 36 and in Hebrews chapter 8. Our hearts were broken in the fall, irreparable in the fall. But Christ comes to give us a new heart. Being in the kingdom is not about what you do with your hands or, or what you retain in your head. Being in the kingdom is about what flows out of your heart. And the only way for there to be good fruit is for there to be a good heart. And for there to be a good heart, there has to be a new heart. And so what kind of heart do you have? The point of the gospel is the creation of a brand new people with a brand new heart who live in a never before seen brand new kingdom. So Jesus is, is not mincing any words. A new heart versus an old heart is how you determine which kingdom you're living in. You say, well, I'll just live in the kingdom of this world. I'll live in the kingdom of the old heart. Well, it's already predicted. The script has already been written. Your future has already been planned. There, there's a flood coming. There's a storm coming. Flash floods are going to burst up against that house in your kingdom that is, is a kingdom of an untransformed heart, and you are going to be destroyed. And so we would start this morning by saying we need a new heart to get into the kingdom. Secondly, number two, verses 20 to 26, we go back to the beginning where I started reading. When you have a new heart, it changes how you live in this world. When you have a new heart, it changes how you live in this world. Again, he gives us this contrast. Think about it. Because these contrasts are going to, are going to come at you. They're going to back you into a corner. And you're going to have to say, based on these contrasts, from the looks of my life, I live in this kingdom. From the looks of my life, I live in this kingdom. It's, it's critically important that you understand which kingdom you find yourself living in. In verses 20 to 23, here's what he said. 
I long for something that I cannot find in the kingdoms of this world. There is a longing that is never satisfied this side of heaven. That's what he's saying. I long for something. When when you come to verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes and said to the disciples, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when people uh, uh, hate you and exclude you and revile you and spurn you and persecuted. What? Blessed. There there is a kingdom. There is a place where you can go on earth, and this this is a blessed way to live. Here's what Jesus is saying. I long for something because I've got a new heart and I'm living in a new kingdom. I long for something that I cannot find in the kingdom of this world. There is a longing that is never satisfied this side of heaven. I am poor. I am poor because there is nothing of value here. Lay not up for yourselves treasures here on earth where the moths come in and the rust eats it away. Right? Where am I supposed to lay out my my treasure? Lay out for yourself treasures in heaven. Why? Because they're both completely contrasting kingdom mindsets. One kingdom says get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. Right? Another kingdom says "This, this doesn't bring me joy or a sense of worth or significance. Therefore, I would... Prefer, and I know poor in spirit, you can parse this any way you want to. The bottom line is this. I am poor, and I'm blessed to be poor because I find nothing of value here. My value is in another kingdom. I am hungry because there is nothing here that fills me. I'm not looking for the kingdom of this world to fill me up. I'm looking to a different kingdom. I am weeping now because there is nothing in this kingdom that brings me joy. I am hated here because my values are so unnatural to the natural man that it unsettles his conscience and makes him uncomfortable. And if if he thinks if he can shut me up that it will make his pain go away and his conscience will be quiet and he won't feel guilty anymore. But when I'm persecuted and when I'm hated, Jesus said, I find joy in that because it tells me that I'm living in the kingdom of heaven. As fallen natural man drives deeper and deeper and deeper into the stagnant lies of the world, he doesn't want anybody that's going to disagree with him. He doesn't want anybody that's going to warn him. He doesn't want anybody that's going to rain on his parade. Therefore, there's going to be persecution. So when you have a new heart, it changes how you live in this world. When you have a new heart, you live for something that, that, um, that you cannot find in the kingdoms of this world. There is a longing that is never satisfied this side of, of heaven. But what's the contrast to that? The contrast is this. I live for something that can only be found in this world, hoping that it will satisfy my longings that can only be satisfied in Christ's kingdom. That's called a prosperity gospel, by the way. That's hybrid Christianity. I I live for something that can only be found in this world. That's what's happening in the second part. But woe to you who are rich. You've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full. I'm living to be rich. I'm living to be full now. I'm living for whatever's going to make me happy. Happy. Give me comedy. Give me entertainment. Give me something that's going to make me feel good. Let me ingest something. I don't want to mourn and weep. 
I want to live in such a way I've got a, I've got a closet full of masks and fig leaves and I'm going to go put them on so that when people see me, they'll say all kinds of nice things about me. I live for something that can only be found in this world, hoping that it will satisfy my longings that can only be satisfied in Christ's kingdom. Your heart was created to be satisfied in Christ and Christ alone. Your life was created to be lived in Christ's kingdom. But here's what the text is saying. There is temporary consolation in worldly riches. There is temporary consolation in worldly riches. But life in the kingdom does not lack for consolation. Does not, but life in the kingdom does not look for consolation in mature riches. You, you can fill yourself with all that the world has to offer, but it will never satisfy your real hunger. Your soul will never be satisfied when you are constantly ordering from the world's menu. Your soul will never be satisfied when you're constantly ordering from the world's menu. There is no soul food on the world's menu. I'm talking about your internal soul. He says in the text, we can carefully assemble a reputation and, and skillfully craft a self-image, and we can surround ourselves with people who tell us what we want to hear. And so many people do that in the name of Jesus. But none of that, although it is natural and common to fall of fallen man, nothing on this list is consistent with life in the kingdom. That's why he gives us the contrast. If we measure our life by how well we are doing in time. And that's what we do, folks. That's what we do. We, we just do that. We're guilty of that. If we measure our life by how well we are doing in time, we may underestimate and even miss the inestimable value of our soul, our spiritual life, our eternal life. And the crazy thing about our Christianity in America is that we have married the two. We look, we look at the Beatitudes, we look at verses 20 to 23 and 24 to 26, and we take them and we synthesize them together and we say, this is Christianity. But Jesus is saying, no, it's not. There is a clear distinction between the kingdoms. When you have a new heart, it changes how you live in this world. Thirdly, when you have a new heart, it changes how you love in this world. Verses 27 to 36. He says there is this supernatural kingdom love. And Jesus, Jesus goes to verse 27. He says, but I say to you who hear. <laughs> you, better, you, better, you better cuff your ears to this one because I'm going to say some stuff and you're going to be like, say what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? This can't be right. This can't be right. Here's, here's what he has said. Love your enemies? <laughs> I'm, I'm putting a question mark at the end of it because this is so weird. Love your enemies? Are you kidding me? Do good to those who hate you? Are you kidding me? Bless those who curse you? Pray for those who abuse you? Somebody comes up and slaps you on one side of the head, turn the other cheek and let them slap you on the other side of the head. Someone wants your outer garment, you give them your undergarment. Someone asks you for something or takes something from you and you don't want to keep an account of it. You don't have a little book. You don't have a date. You don't make them sign a form. You just give it to them. What is he saying? 
He's saying love in such a way that you don't let anything come between you and loving even the worst person that treats you terribly. In the kingdom, we love in such a way that we don't let anything come between us and the worst person that we encounter in the world. That's, that's the way kingdom people live. Love in such a way that there is no barrier between you and your love for that person that has treated you terribly. He makes it clear. Love others the way you want to be loved. Love others like Christ loved you. He gave himself for us on our worst, most undeserving day. That's how Christ loved us. He's saying love those around you like I have loved you. He did that because that is how he loves. God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners. On our worst day, he died for us. That is how Christ loves. And that is how people in his kingdom with new hearts love. John 13, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. He's not talking about a bunch of folks that have everything in common. He's talking about a, a group of people that love in an extremely, profoundly, uncommon, otherworldly, unnatural way. I would ask you this morning, is this how you love? Is this how you love? Some of us are walking around with decade-old anger. Decade-old anger, bitterness, grudges, hatred. You won't release it. You won't release those people that you hold those grudges against, that anger. It could be your dead parents. <laughs> it could be your childhood friends. It could be some old boyfriend or some old girlfriend. They just live in your brains rent-free. They decide they want to pitch a fit. They own you. You want to be healed? Listen to me. You want to be healed? Stop thinking that you need to get even. Stop thinking that you need to get even. Wanting somebody to pay for an offense against you is your desire to get even. And Jesus is saying, no, I got a new heart. I don't want to get even now. I want to release it. I want to give. I want to set them free. And more than that, I, I want to be free. Stop thinking that you need to get even. Stop thinking that you deserve justice. This is unjust. I've been treating, treated unjustly. He's saying just love them with kingdom love. But then he gives us in the text this natural love. This natural love. Loving people who love you. He basically says it's, it's meaningless. It's not supernatural. Unregenerate people do that. Being kind reciprocally is what unregenerate people do. It's natural. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's, where's that in Proverbs, right? <laughs> Isn't that in the Bible somewhere? 
It's not. It's the way lost people think. It's the way unregenerate people think. Even an atheist at the bank will lend you money and expect payback. And then Jesus doubles down. I read it. It's beginning in verse 35. Here's what he says. For people in the kingdom, loving like King Jesus loves is not an option. People in the kingdom have a heart like the king. People in the kingdom are merciful like the king. They are merciful because they have a new heart, a transformed heart. Ephesians chapter 2 lays it out um, just very clearly. I'm going to take a second and turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4. Listen to what he says. He talks about being dead in trespasses and sins. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no no man should boast, for we are, we are all his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God prepared beforehand for those who walk in him. So, so Jesus lays it out for us, this love of Christ that is shed abroad, us loving, saying we love God who we can't see, but not loving somebody who we can see. He says, no, 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 it's not that way. In my kingdom, we love enemies, and we, we treat people the way Christ has treated us. The, the fourth thing we see in, in the text is this. When, when, we have, when we have a new heart, it changes how we live in this world. When we have a new heart, it changes how we love in this world. Thirdly, when we have a new heart, it changes how we look in this world. And I'm talking about how we look, how people see us looking, but how we look at others. When we have a new heart, it changes how we look at other people. This is important because we are constantly justifying criticism and gossip and self-exaltation. The, the reason we refuse to release an offense is because we don't think we ever deserve to be offended. Do you think you're perfect? Do I think I'm perfect? The reason we don't release somebody's offense against us is because our fallen heart says, how dare you do that to me? How dare you do that to me? Right? We look at others and we exalt ourselves. The reason we are critical, the reason we gossip, the reason we find fault with others is because we think we're better than them. That is a fallen mentality. But, but when Christ comes in and gives us a new heart, we look at people differently. Let me break down what he says in the text. First of all, in God's kingdom, we are not constantly studying people and examining people to catch them in something or find their flaws. The word judge, when he says judge, it means to bring them to trial. He says, stop constantly putting people on trial. When he says judge not, stop putting people on trial. He says, he says it, um, let, me find, let me find my place. I'm in Ephesians. Let me go back to Luke. Luke chapter 6. Judge not. 
and you will not be judged. Condemn not. How do we condemn? To condemn is to find guilty and punish. To condemn is to find guilty and punish. What is he saying? He's saying we look at people and we identify them with their offenses so that sin is not something that they do, but sin essentially is who they are. Their sin is something that they are, which makes an offense unforgivable. How am I going to deal with an offense if all of a sudden now I'm not going to say you have done something that is sinful, but you yourself, you filthy, vile person. You are, your identity, I don't see you the way Christ sees you. I see you on the base of your, basis of your offense against me. I see you and identify you with your sin. Therefore, I'm going to judge you and I'm going to condemn you and I'm not going to forgive you. If what I am is an offense, then there is no solution to the problem except judgment and condemnation. How can we accept the love of Christ and not give it to another? How can we accept the grace of God and not give it to another? And quite frankly, I think Jesus lays it out in uh, the Lord's Prayer and basically says you can't. In God's kingdom, we're not constantly studying people, examining people to catch them in something or find their flaws. Secondly, in contrast to that, in God's kingdom, because we have new hearts, we navigate life in community with abounding grace. With abounding grace. We forgive. We give generously, lavishly. That is relational. This is not a promise to those who are motivated by material gain. He's not saying, given it shall be given unto you. And it's just going to be flowing over. So we always say, man, just, I'm just going to give more money. I'm going to give more money. You can't outgive God. And when I give God more money, God's going to give me more money. He's, he's using this in the sense of finding fault with others. No, move toward others with grace. Move toward others in love. In kindness, just pour that forgiveness out on them. Pour that grace out on them. Lavish them with grace, no matter what faults you think you see in them. You give judgment. Here's what he says. You will get judgment back. You use my lowest point to be your definition of me. Your lowest point will be others' definition of you. You may have seen me in traffic. I may have seen you in traffic. Right? I may not have seen the gesture you made at them. I don't know what you do when somebody makes a gesture at you. But sometimes I think, I got two of those. Now, I don't do that. And I really don't think that, but I've heard other people say that they think that, right? And maybe I've seen you. Am I going to let that be in my mind what I use to identify you at your lowest point? If I see you scowl at your wife, am I going to say he's, he's a wife abuser? If I hear you sharp, speak with a sharp tone in your voice, am I going to say this person is terrible because I saw him at his lowest point? But if that's the way you want to run around and find fault in other people's lives and judge them, the same judgment on the same basis is coming back to you. You condemn, you will be condemned. You criticize constantly and try to assassinate the character of others, the same will happen to you. You try to constantly put others in a negative light with full truth or half truth or lies. By the way, there are enough negative things about me that are true that you could condemn me as guilty. 
Thirdly, in God's kingdom, we judge ourselves more harshly than we judge, judge others. We're not constantly examining the lives of others. We're examining ourselves and we're repenting and growing in sanctification. If your mind screams at you regarding the sins of others and whispers at you about your sin, you might not have a new heart. You might not be in the kingdom. I was sitting with some brothers one day and we were eating and I had food on my mouth that just seems to be a more common occurrence as you get older, right? You just, you just, you, number one, you just enjoy some good old food. You're just glad to have something to eat, and you don't care where it goes, where it's, how, how it, you know. And so a brother was sitting beside me. Now, what he could have done is he could have looked around the table and said, hey, did you guys see that food on Mark's mouth? <laughs> old guy, he's losing it. Can't even wipe his mouth. He, he did the weirdest thing. He reached over, he said, hold on, brother, and he grabbed that food off my face as though it was on his face. And Christ is calling us to look at our brothers and sisters with problems. Maybe they got a speck in their eye. Maybe they got a moat in their eye. And he's saying, don't run around saying, hey, I saw a speck in this guy's eye. But this brother's struggling, and I'm just going to come help him. I'm going I'm to grab that thing that is plaguing him, and I'm going to walk with him. That's what we do in the kingdom. That's how we love in the kingdom. That's how we serve in the kingdom. The fifth thing we see, and the final thing is, when you have a new heart, it changes how you listen to Jesus. When you, when you have a new heart, it changes how you listen to Jesus. He says, why do you say that I'm your king? And you're in my kingdom when you don't even pay attention to what I say. If all of your value is in the kingdom of this world, then you haven't heard a word Jesus has said. If the way you love is like this world loves, then you haven't heard a word that Jesus has said. If the way you're relating to people and you're, you're always just judging them and, and biting at them and criticizing them and finding fault with them, then you haven't heard a word that Jesus has said. Jesus comes to the end of this passage and he gives us this, this clear invitation. Why do you say that I am your king and you are in my kingdom and you don't even pay attention to what I say? Everyone hears, but not, every, not everyone acts on what they hear. Some people are observers. Many of you have come today just to observe. I want to see if I agree with him or disagree with him or if I like him or don't like him. You know, we're observers. Many of us read the Bible and we're observers. We want to gain in, in uh, the repository of our brain. We don't want to act on it. We hear as observers. We hear as admirers. That's nice. Oh, that's really nice. And we hear as consumers, how can I use this truth to make my life better? When if we're in the kingdom, we hear like obedient children. If we're in the kingdom, we hear like obedient children. We listen when Jesus speaks. The kingdom that you're living in will be obvious. If you're living in the kingdom of this world, your kingdom is going down. If you're living... In the kingdom of Christ, if you have a new heart, your life will be radically and practically different. 
You will have a, a different perspective. You will have different values. You will have different hopes. You will have different dreams. Everything in this life is a reflection of the kingdom that we think we live in. And I would ask you as I close, which kingdom are you living in? And how are you living in this world? Jesus has made it clear we need a new heart to get into the kingdom. When you have a new heart, it changes how you live in this world. When you have a new heart, it changes how you love in this world. When you have a new heart, it changes how you look in this world. And when you have a new heart, it changes how you listen to Jesus Christ. I would ask you this morning, do you have... Do you have a new heart? I want to ask you to examine your heart. I'm not asking you, do you know theology? I'm not asking you, are you well read? I'm not asking you if you give. I'm asking you, do you have a new heart? I would, I would ask you in closing, how are you responding to your enemies? How are you responding to those who offend you? How are you responding to those who hurt you? How are you, are you responding to those who abuse you? How are you responding to those who try to hit you? How are you responding to those who bully you? How are you responding to those who make fun of you? How are you relating to your enemies? How are you relating to the value system of this world? Are you collecting and purchasing and spending and pursuing experiences and entertainment and happiness just like everyone else? Is it all about success and materialism and prosperity? Or are you grieving the absence of the bridegroom? Are you sick of this world and longing for the return of Christ? Are you mourning? Are you hungry? Are you weeping? Are you persecuted? And then what do you see when you look at other people? What do you see when you look at other people? Are you superior? Are you a critic? Are you a Pharisee? Are you constantly saying, I can't believe they did that? Sometimes I want to go back and live my life over. Does anybody ever want to go back and live your life over? I've even prayed that I could go back and live my life over. God's never answered that prayer. I'm like, Lord, I'm fixing to fall asleep. When I wake up, let me be in the seventh grade again. You say, why would you want to go back to the seventh grade? I just have a lot of regrets. I just have a lot of regrets. Just be honest with you. There are things that I wish I'd never done that have shaped my life to this very day at almost 63 years old. Um. I'm not sitting around worrying about what everybody else has done that I regret. I'm looking at the, the telephone pole that is in my eye, and it's huge. I can't see the speck that's in your eye. I don't really have the option of looking at people that way as a pastor. I don't. Um, I, I want to tell you that I love you. I want to tell you that I want you to come into the kingdom. And I want to tell you that it's the desire of my heart to look at you the way Christ looks at you. And, and by the way, <laughs> what right do I have to look at you any differently than Christ looks at you? Who in the world do I think I am? What right do you have to look at anybody any differently than Christ looks at them? What do you see when you look at other people? Then fifthly, what are you building What are you building? Um, where are you building your life in time and in eternity? Where are you building your life in time and in eternity? Where you build your house in time indicates what you think of eternity. 
Where you build, he's, he's telling us about this house. There are these houses that are built. One's built on a rock. One's built on sand. Where you build your house in time is a reflection of what you think of eternity. So what matters now? Where are you building? Throughout this text, Jesus shows us the rock and the sand. You can't miss it. There's rock, there's sand. The first section, there's rock, there's sand. The second section, there's rock, there's sand. The third section, there's rock, there's sand. It's all dependent upon the condition of your heart. And I would ask you, do you have a new heart? And where are you building your house? And I would call you South Point, I would call you dear professing believer to repent this morning. Turn from the kingdom of this world. Believe the gospel. Get a new heart. Come into the kingdom of heaven.